So good evening, fine folks, and uh, welcome to the historical marionette theater. Uh, joining me here to my side is my co-host, my partner in crime, Mr. Toppy Smelly. Good evening, Toppy. How are you this fine night? Good evening, DJ. I'm good. Uh, I uh, wish we had air conditioning. Um, I guess one of the agreements that was made without you or me knowing is that when we do the show here, uh, they're <clears throat> not going to turn on the air conditioning. So, uh, it's, you know, it's we're sweating bullets here, kids, but uh, that's how dedicated we are. Uh, bringing you matinee minutia. They do operate on a budget here in some of these older historical buildings. Yeah, well, listen, I, I got nothing to do with it. Oh, oh Gertie, we're not blaming you. Uh, folks, this is Gertie. Uh, she is our concession stand uh, gal. I just thought I'd take a moment to mention here, Toppy, we are at episode number 17. 17? Holy cow. You could have had me sing that, DJ. <laughs> well, you did ask for extra pay, so I don't think it was in the budget. But um, without further mm -hmm. to do, here we go. Sydney Bloom is a loner with an expensive hobby in the early days of the net. <laughs> uh, that's internet lingo for... Uh, mm, internet. Uh, she's looking for answers to her past while chasing her father's brainchild. This one has voyeurism, <whistles> repressed memories, and big brother conspiracies. Get out those goggles and gloves. It's time for the mid-90s Fox television psychological thriller VR5. Anything in your subconscious can be pulled in a VR. You know that, right? Anything in anybody else's anybody else's. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of the golden oldies. And a smidgen of streaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your hosts DJ and Toppy. You know, uh, on my way into the balcony here tonight, I was hanging up my jacket, and, uh, well, there was a poster or a billboard, that, well, a, uh, what do you call it, a playbill that caught my eye, and um, it seemed to be bill a billing for an old act. Oh, yeah? Well, you know, Marionette uh, Theater here has... Well, it, it certainly has a peppered past. Well, you know, this one seemed to feature two ladies in acrobat outfits. It was sort of old-timey, and it read, Gertrude and Blair, Extraordinary Feats of Physique. Really, uh, Gertie? What? What? Why is everyone looking at me? I... I don't. I don't want to talk about it. As a matter of fact, I'm going downstairs and eat some candy. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh. Wow, I, I don't, I don't know what that was about, but um. hmm, well, it seems to be a busy night here in the theater, Toppy, and there's a few folks that have joined us. Uh, why don't we take a peek and see who's in our crowd? Well, it uh, it's kind of a full room. I'm really happy to see everybody here. Uh, people are popping up and uh, in and out, uh, perhaps on their phones, but right now. Uh, I see Janet, uh, our pal, and your pal. I see Billy Stysage. Well, what's your husband? I see the Ever Mysterious Crone Haven. Uh, also, we have our pal Tommy, who will probably be back in a second. Uh, we also have uh, uh, our friend uh, and fellow uh, host of a Univaz podcast, not quite a cat lady, um, and uh, Brenda is also with me as we do our weekly lots of life on the shit list. It's Brenda Boo in the chat room. There's oh, Tommy. He's back. We get a round of applause for Univaz podcaster here. All right, excellent. Thanks everyone for joining us. And the DJ, <clears throat> uh, this is a very, very interesting little shoe 
uh, that we're going to talk about tonight. I have no history with it whatsoever, but one of the nice things about it was so easy to see on YouTube, and I got to see many episodes. I liked it way better than I thought I would. Uh, but let's get back to 1995, DJ, when uh, all of when this show started on the air. And just uh, give us a, a, a feeling oh, right. of, of what was going on then. Okay, so here we are. We're going to set the stage for you folks. Here on Matt Namanusha, we're not just an ordinary podcast about film and television. This is a program about tel- film and television trivia. So you're going to learn about what went into making this and what was going on in the world. And here we are, the world in 1995 and 60 seconds or so. So in 95, we have hacker Kevin Mitnick is arrested by the FBI and charged with breaking into some of the United States' most secure computer systems in Denver, Colorado. And then uh, in Denver, Colorado, Stapleton Airport closes. It's replaced by the new Denver International Airport, the largest in the United States. We have astronaut Norman Thagard became the first American to ride in space aboard a Russian launch vehicle, rocket. Uh, Oklahoma City bombing took place in 1995. That was the, the tragedy that involved Mr. Timothy McVeigh. There were 168 people, including eight federal marshals and 19 children that were killed at the Alfred P. Murrah building. Uh, actor Christopher Reeve in 95 was paralyzed from the neck down after falling from his horse in a riding competition. The U S Congress passed the child protection and obscenity enforcement act requiring that producers of pornography keep records of all models who are filmed or photographed and that all models must be at least 18 years of age. So you remember those uh, sites that asked you to prove your age. That's one of the reasons uh, Microsoft released Windows 95 in 95. The first ever full-length computer animated feature film, Toy Story, was released by Pixar and Walt, and Walt Disney back in 95. And just a few handfuls of other things. You got Ms., uh, U.S. President Bill Clinton signs the National Highway System Designation Act of 1995 that ended the federally enforced 55 mile per hour speed limit. So now you can go 65 or faster depending on your state. Yay. Oh, <laughs> Crone, I've been giving people instructions in the chat room, and Mysterious Cronehaven is quite right. I, I keep saying the damn logo is on the left. And that's not on the left, it's on the right. <laughs> so, uh, yes, that's the logo you want to click on to uh, get the audio of uh, what we're speaking. Thank you, Crown. Uh, uh, I've got one person, DJ, who was born in 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of funny. Um, it's it's Ireland Baldwin. Do you know who that is? Well, uh, this person, uh, I, uh, she's a model. Uh, she's the daughter of Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger. And uh, uh, she's now uh, Mrs. Justin Bieber. How about that? Oh, my. What a call to fame. <laughs> yes. Uh, so what were some of the other uh, crazy TV shows on in, in 1995? Give us a reminder. So here on Matt Name should we talk about film and television. And VR5 was a TV series. So the other things you might have had to choose to watch from, including ABC's Family Matters. There was also on the uh, the Big Brother eyeball there, CBS. It was Diagnosis Murder, which I <laughs> believe starred Mr. Dick Van Dyke. Yes, it did. I believe his son uh, also starred in it. Ah, and then we also have uh, the um, Robert Stack series on NBC, Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, perhaps one of the first reality TV shows. I mean, could we consider that? Yeah, yeah I would uh, think so. Yeah. So, folks, let me give you the story of uh, VR5. Um, First of all, it aired on Friday night at 8 p.m., debuted in the spring of 95. And it was the hour before the X-File on the Fox Network. Now, the X-Files was settling in to be the hit uh, that it would become. uh, Already quite successful. Um, And uh, actually... 
uh, VR5 replaced a television series, some might be recall, called Mantis, which, TJ, I believe, was somebody with some sort of exoskeleton, kind of a superhero thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of a comic book superhero type story, and that was on Fox in the fall the year before in 94. So this time slot... The hour before the X-Files seemed to be Fox's test bed for a while. Not only that, DJ, it's also where many shows died. <laughs> um, and um, <clears throat> that's because, you know, think of it Friday night. You know, people are, are out on the town. Uh, it, it was hard to get a hit. It was hard to be TV uh, back then on a Friday night. And if you think about it, we are running the show in the time slot that the X-Files originally aired. <laughs> oh, dear. No wonder. No wonder. Uh, folks, here's the story about VR5. It involves a young woman named Sydney Bloom, and she works in a telephone company, uh, and she has a mysterious past uh, because uh, she was involved in an, a terrible, terrible accident with her father, her mother, and her sister. Um, and in that accident, uh, uh, her father and sister died, and her mother was brain damaged to the point that she never recovered. She's just sort of uh, sits in a wheelchair in a home, uh, apparently in some sort of uh, state, uh, uh, not unlike a, a coma. Uh, and... Uh, and it's very sad, uh, but Sydney uh, goes on with her life, and uh, she's very tech-oriented because her father was that way. She learned a lot, and her hobby is to play with virtual reality. If she has found, as an adult, an ability in herself to enter into the human mind by using VR Virtual Reality 5. <laughs> I pulled a few strings, and look what we have. What is it? It's an Exigy S100 bus. A computer for the home. Cool. 16K memory. I can get almost a whole book on this one little tape. One day, every house in the world is going to have one of these. At the very beginning, uh, you heard her trying to call her co-worker, who she's got a crush on. Uh, but she just she she hung up the phone as soon as he came on. Uh, so uh, hello, hello, Ron. Sydney. Oh, is it so hard? Here's what we do. <laughs> Stealth technology. Uh, folks, that was not Keanu Reeves. Uh, that was actually actor Michael Dillon, uh, Michael Easton, playing Dylan, her lifelong friend. Uh, and uh, they're still friends as adults. And he provides sort of what you would call the metaphysical link to her tech. So he'll always be uh, in the series. Uh, try he thinks of everything that's happening in terms of it of metaphysical ways, uh, and uh, she's all about the tech. So they have an interesting pairing. Also, in that scene was her pet cockatiel, uh, who. <laughs> just shows up. So, Toppy, I think that we're ready to learn a little bit more about the star of this show. Shall we go ahead and talk about our lead character? Yeah, let's go ahead. Give it a... Tell us all about her. Okay, so Sydney Bloom, the, the protagonist in this story here, is played by a young actress, Lori Singer. Now, she's a Texas-born actress, she's a dancer, and she's also musically inclined. She's a cellist. She got her break a decade before VR5 in the 1983 TV teen drama Fame. You know that uh, Manhattan school about gifted students? 
She also starred opposite John Lithgow in Herbert Ross's Footloose. Everyone knows Footloose. Everyone knows the song. And this movie featured Kevin Bacon. Now, she had roles in 10 films since then, all leading up to VR5, including one which I mistook as being Daryl Hannah because I was a little younger then. She starred in a film with Tom Hanks called The Man with One Red Shoe, and it was a spy story. Hmm. Uh, and uh, she uh, she had uh, kind of an absence from acting, but she is uh, working these days, most recently in Law and Order, and something called The Experimenter. Hmm. Um, and uh, she is still working today. Uh, but I don't think she's... Uh, she certainly hasn't broken into, like, uh, major, major film roles or TV roles. So this was kind of her best effort as far as heading a TV series, which I think was a bit of a risk for Fox to have the main character be a female. I can almost guarantee you that when they started out, they were probably thinking it was going to be a guy. And then someone, probably one of the female producers said, hey, why can't it be a girl? And they said, okay, it'll be a girl. And the timing was just right as well, because, uh, you know, America Online brought the internet to people's homes just a few years before and in the same year that vr5 came out two very popular internet themed films came out to theaters you had sandra bullock in the net and you also had a young angelina jolie in hackers that came out that same year yeah and i wanted to point out um also dj that that uh the story of this VR5 could could kind of be very much linked to a previous movie uh, that came out in 1983 called, um, what was, oh, it was called Brainstorm hmm. with Christopher Walken oh. um, and Natalie Wood and Louise Fletcher was in it. She's also in VR5, also starring Cliff Robertson. Now, that was about a team of scientists who invented a brain-computer interface that allows sensations to be, be recorded from a person's brain and converted to tape so that others may experience them. That is exactly uh, what happens with Sydney in this series, but she doesn't need some of that machinery. She certainly doesn't need to record it on tape. She experiences it in her noggin. Um, but that's same damn plot. So uh, no, it, it's it's also interesting the timing of this show. Not only were there two movies that were very popular, it came out about the internet that year, but this was in a time when there was an increase in women in skilled labor jobs. Now I could say this because in the past I've worked in a similar industry and I could tell you that even as uh, recently as 10 years ago, although there are more and more women in these jobs, it's certainly not equal men to women ratios. So having a woman not only in the lead role on a TV show like this on Fox, but also a woman playing a skilled laborer. That was, that was pretty cutting edge for the right. time. Uh, the character of Sidney Bloom uh, on the show works as a line person for the Telcal telephone company in San Francisco, California, where the series takes place. Now, a moment ago, you talked about, uh, Laurie Singer's co-star who played her mother and that was by played by Louise Fletcher why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, Miss Fletcher in case they don't know who she is well uh, she of course gained wide fame for her wonderful performance in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as Nurse Ratchet uh, a superb role that seemed that she seemed to be born to play. And yes, uh, they gave her an Academy Award for it. Uh, but she kept working. Uh, she did Russian Roulette in 75. Here's one of my favorites. I don't care what anyone says. Mm -hmm. I, 
I watched this movie. It's called Exorcist to the Heretic. Ah! Oh. Oh, it's awful, but I love it. And if you're not careful, we'll do it on this damn show. Uh, uh, she was um, in The Lady in Red also. She was uh, in Brainstorm, as we mentioned. I love this movie, Strange Invaders. Yes, she's in Strange Invaders. I love this movie, Firestarter. In '84, oh, that has yes, Drew Barry. Then that has uh, '80s now, uh, more recent stars. Well, Drew Barrymore was in that as a child. Yes, indeed. Uh, also, you want to talk about weird? You want to talk about strange characters? How about Flowers in the Attics, folks? <laughs> uh, so she she portrayed Elizabeth Foxworth. What a weird movie! Uh, she was also Grizzly too. Uh, she was in the Karen Carpenter story. She was in Blue Stale. Uh, so she went on and on. And on TV, she had a reoccurring role on uh, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, uh, what was her character again? When? Oh my goodness, Toppy, uh, you are playing with my heartstrings. This was this was my high school years, and Louise Fletcher basically played everybody's, uh, you know, uh, favorite lady that they loved to hate because she was the kind of an alien version of the Pope. And she was trying to be popular all the while at the same time as being traditional and conservative. <laughs> Yes. Uh, she excelled in playing characters you love to hate. Uh, she was also on the TV series Picket Fences for two episodes. Uh, most recently, you could have seen her in a Girl Boss a TV series. She was most recently, uh, before that, uh, something called Shameless. She was on episodes of ER. She's all over the place, folks. This was a television show that uh, was fantasy, sci-fi based. They tackled serious topics, but they also were able to do uh, comedic things. So it was kind of well-rounded in that area. This, what you're going to hear, is an example of that, where she was in a sequence in her mind with her friend, uh, played by the previous uh, mentioned Michael Easton, and and it parodies uh, the classic British series from the 60s, The Avengers, not the superhero team. This was a television series called The Avengers, and uh, Diana Rigg, uh, uh, and, uh, oh gosh, who was the guy that starred in that? Um, can't remember. Uh, but a classic TV, a TV series that did get airtime in the U.S. of A. in the uh, late 60s. Super popular in Britain where it originated. And they're parodying the Avengers. Uh, DJ, they had a special language they used visually for these sequences. They spent a lot of time and a lot of money on them to make them look very contemporary, very weird, very different. Can you describe it? Oh, well, you know, I know that um, how they managed to portray the world of the virtual reality it was accomplished by them filming the scenes in black and white. And in order for things to appear very surreal and very vivid, they went through and at the time manually colorized certain portions by a computer. So that added to the expense of producing this show. Now, as you uh, go further into the series, and this is this is part of the, the minutia, this is part of the fun of exploring a show like this, because some of these series that were, as they say, canceled too soon in some ways, uh, have a certain following, kind of a, a cult following. And um, just like Dreams, where if you, if you see a therapist or you take a psychology course, you'll learn that uh, there are people who believe that some people dream in color, some people dream in black and white, and whether it's color or black and white will tell you, you know, the type of dream it is. Anyways, long story not so short, um, basically, as you watch this show, apparently it was the intentions of the producers 
that everything which appears in color is based in truth and anything that appears in black and white, because they did have um, sequences where there was a combination of those two backgrounds. Anything that was in black and white was an implanted memory. It's a memory that's been tinkered with. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, why don't we just uh, round out the cast by just talking a little bit about David McCallum, who is not in every episode, uh, but does appear uh, uh, throughout in in scenes as uh, her father. And David McCallum um, was uh, achieved his greatest fame as a a, a spy series DJ. This is what you were thinking of yes, called the is. man from uncle. <laughs> and, um, it came out concurrently with the Avengers actually. And it was all, all these spy shows were basically a response, a TV's response to James Bond. And the man from uncle had a, a great style and, uh, had a very, uh, fondly remembered run. Um, and of course, uh, McCallum has has also been in uh, movies. Let me just go. To, um, he was in the Outer Limits way back in the day, the original series. Uh, he was kind of episode of Wonder Woman. Um, oh, the uh, no, I don't know what version. Oh, he was doing a voice in a Wonder Woman cartoon. Sorry. Uh. Uh, so he has had a long career. I did not know that he was uh, also a very accomplished musician. Um, he's also written uh, books, uh, fictional books. Um, so he has um, been very busy. And uh, and like I say, most, most remembered for that uh, 60s television series. Now, there's a show that I want to check out as a result of reading up on Mr. McCallum. And it has another one of my favorite actors. It has Joanna Lumley, who some of you may recognize as playing the eccentric, bouffant-haired character on Absolutely Fabulous. And in the 70s, he was in a TV series with her called Sapphire and Steel. Hmm. Uh, British American. It was, was a, it? it was a British series, and it ran for three series. Um, what uh, what kind of role? You have not seen it, or I haven't seen it. No, oh, okay. but I'm intrigued because it has one of my favorites in it. Uh, um, that's also. Let, let me just also mention two of of my favorite David McCallum projects is. Uh, a 1970s television movie that I think aired in two parts. It was called Frankenstein, the true story, uh, which we will uh, do one day on the show because it's stupendous. Uh, Michael Cesarin played the monster and uh, it, it, it uh, kind of, uh, followed Mary Shelley's novel a bit more uh, a, a closer than than perhaps anything else, um, and wonderfully produced. Uh, um, it has a great cast, and it's headed up by McCallum. And also, <laughs> McCallum did a cute little TV series that lasted about thirteen episodes in the early 70s on ABC. It was called The Invisible Man, and it was a modern uh, take on The Invisible Man And uh, because that's all TV could do at the time. The Invisible Man solved crimes because he's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, I have a soft spot in my heart <laughs> for his old TV series on ABC, the Invisible Man. Now let's talk about the younger hottie that's on the show. Sydney's oh friend, God. Dylan. He was a TV actor and VR5 was his first recurring role. Now, his next role was in the USA Network Identity Crisis series called... Uh, what's the actor we're talking about? His name is Michael Easton. Oh, okay. That's right. Yes, thank you. Yes. And uh, the series he started on USA 
Day was called Two. It only lasted 23 episodes, but after that, he was in a series for Showtime, and it was a TV version of Arnold Schwarzenegger's film Total Recall. Now, this there was a certain spin on this. It was called Total Recall 2070. It's intermission time, folks. Uh, this means it's good uh, good time to go fill your glass, and uh, and we'll be back. for 22 episodes and more recently mr michael easton has had recurring roles on a couple of soap operas because well you know he's he's nice to look at uh he was on one life to live and general hospital for a spell yeah he's a real interesting guy first of all okay handsome he's the guy in the clips that sounds like keanu reeves uh he, he has his character on VR5 is, is quite appealing. Uh, but in real life, uh, the guy is just kind of an everything guy. Probably very smart. But one of the things that he does that I love is he writes stories for comic books. And I can just see exactly why working on television soaps is perfect for him because it pays the bills in his mind. I'm sure that's what it's all about and gives him time to do what he clearly loves to do, which is write. Um, and he's done screenplays. Uh, and uh, I think uh, some of the graphic novels, I'll just mention one is the green woman. Um, oh gosh. Uh, um, that was for Vertical Comics. Um, um, I could mention others, but but he he clearly is a very creative guy. So I, I just love the hell out of him, and he's cute. <laughs> so I, I guess it's safe to say that learning more about Michael Easton, it probably isn't a far stretch for him to play this character because it sounds like he might have put a lot of himself into it. it he's he's a jack of all trades. Uh, maybe, maybe. And uh, he probably made the most of it. Um, so, um, DJ, what um, I think we should talk about this whole uh, thing, uh, what this would have appeared to be for people who were watching it back in the day when the Internet was young and all of this technology seemed real. It's kind of a joy to watch VR5 and and watch them play with what was super advanced technology, modems, <laughs> uh, and things like that. And it's just funny, you know, because here we are so many years later. And, of course, uh, you know, technology has advanced in ways no one ever imagined. And it's very cute uh, to to just watch this and, and see what they were doing way back then. And it's just a thing of its time, I guess. You know, it's it's interesting as, as I, uh, you know, um, reviewed these episodes again, because I did see this when it originally ran. Of course, this ran when I was in my later years of high school, so my attention span probably wasn't what it is today. But, um, you know, re-watching the show, I can... I can appreciate the fact that this was, it was sort of a, a you know, a, a replacement. It was sort of a, a untrial show because, as we said, Fox put it in that time slot in the hour before X-Files. They probably weren't sure if people were going to pay attention to anything that ran in that slot. And it did only run 13 episodes. Now, as Hubby Billy said in the chat room, not all 13 episodes actually were aired on Fox. 
they actually had some scheduling conflicts during its uh, se- one season run because the X-Files had some specials that ran as well. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the titles, are uh, one is Sisters, one is Send Me an Angel, and one is Parallel Lives. They never aired, but I do believe in at least some collections uh they are included um on dvd on dvds um in the chat room yes and and cronehaven and janet agree uh duncan uh michael easton uh the actor uh super hot <laughs> so here we are at uh the segment where we're talking about the folks that made this now the creative cast was a, a group of various people of different backgrounds. And what do you know about who made this, who created this show, Toppy? Well, I got some info right here. Um, let's see if I can find it. I'm going to talk about uh, the executive producer first, and it's John Sacret Young, and he had a long, distinguished career. Uh, he's the man behind the brilliant TV series uh, China Beach, uh, also Level 9, and uh, the brilliant series The West Wing. He won Emmys for his work on West Wing and China Beach. He's the hefty, uh, creative guy uh, that probably helped sell this damn thing. Also producing it was Cherry, uh, and uh, it looks like VR5 was the only thing he worked on, but maybe I didn't dive deep enough. Also, Jeffrey Hemwell, a producer-writer, he did work for The Hot Zone for Star Trek Discovery, for CSI New York, uh, many more, Gilmore Girls, etc. Another producer-writer was Michael Cattleman. Um, he did uh, lots of writing and producing for uh, uh, The Fix, for uh, something called Big Shots, True Calling, um, The Gilmore Girls, Lost in Oz, Mercy Point. And two women were involved, which I think is wonderful because they needed them to write this character, uh, the leading character. Uh, of Sydney, so we have uh, Janine Henshaw, and she's worked on Charmed, on Ghost Whipper, Whisperer, uh, Off the Map, Grey's Anatomy, oh. and things like that. Finally, we have uh, Thania. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, or Thania. Thania St. John, and she did work on that uh, nice little series that goes back, Life Goes On. She did Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. She did The Visitor. She did Strange World. Roswell. She loved the sci-fi Earth Angels. She did Quest. Huff. Eureka. That was a weird series. She did Drop Dead Diva. She did uh, Chicago Fire. Uh, And most recently, she is now working on Project Blue Book. Oh, goodness. Now, Toppy, there's one show you might have overlooked that she did, and it's actually sort of a claim to fame. She wrote for a TV series that got Johnny Depp his star. She wrote for 21 Jump Street. I did not know that. Very good. That goes goes way back. And a spinoff of 21 Jump Street, which I think had Depp himself in it, called Booker. Oh, uh, yeah, I know not of that, but, uh, yeah, that boy, you know, I think that goes, uh, that was before life goes on in Lois and Clark, that, uh, 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. So, so that was the, uh, those were the producers, the writers, and, uh, the quality of the scripts, DJ, your thoughts, that the stories themselves, I thought, uh, they were good. They were very good. I don't think they were X-Files quality, but, uh, but they, they were good. You know, I, I would tend to agree. And one of the things that I've read from other fans that have looked back on this series, possibly with some fondness, with some nostalgia... Because, you know, like myself, we've got folks who went through high school during this period and and now we're we're not quite middle-aged, but we're looking at that not 
too far off on the horizon. And um, they talk about this show as being an early impression of the internet. And sure, you had some folks with some writing talents that went on to do bigger and brighter things. But one of the critiques I've read about this is that for a show about the internet, they didn't seem to have a person who knew a lot about it. Ha! Well, I wonder. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for techno babble. Mm-hmm. You know, if these actors are convincingly going through their techno babble, I go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I don't question it too much. Uh, okay, let me just point out one thing. Right. Okay. Surely, and don't call you Shirley, I know, but Shirley. <laughs> Shirley, you just, that's my other uh, show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the biggest conceptual flaw in this whole damn thing is so obvious, so stupid, uh, that it, 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 it probably ruined it for a lot of people. But she has to call up somebody on the phone, get her modem set up, and get them on the phone before she can have these virtual reality experiences. So that's fine. Okay, I'll go for it. She's got the goggles. She's got the gloves. She's doing this whole thing. She's got the benefit of her father, a brilliant man. Uh, She's a tinkerer. She's got the weird equipment that she's scavenged. Fine. Okay. But these people that she calls up just have a phone. (laughs) <laughs> how is their how are their brain brains going into the phone uh i mean it's the stupidest like how could they possibly overlook that it's like it's just it's one of the stunning things about the show when you're you're looking at it and listening to the plot you go wait a minute mm-hmm. Wait a minute. <laughs> now, you have to wonder if maybe, and this isn't saying that it's a detriment to the story, because this certainly is very watchable. And unlike a lot of things that were made in the 90s, I don't, I think that this is sort of aged decently. You know, it's. It has, it has. You know, it's, it's not, you know, a high tech, hardcore accurate, but it leaves things to the imagination, which is important. The, you know, the core of it is the stories, but I would have to wonder if maybe this might have been a storyline that was proposed before and they just put a technology spin on that idea. You know, right. we, in the 80s, it was very popular because we've got a generation of folks who have gone to war and have come home and they're suffering from... You know, the the post-traumatic stress and we're learning that you have to heal people's minds for them to be healthy. And so, of course, what do they do? They put a counselor on the Starship Enterprise. So Mm -hmm. now you get a show where she's exploring a trauma of the past, which, spoiler alert, happens in the pilot episode of VR5. Sydney Bloom is in a car accident where she loses her twin sister and her father, or so she thinks. And for a good part of the series, she's looking back on that traumatic event because it shaped the rest of her life. So you've got a lot of, of psychology, you've got a lot of elements about dreams, because essentially virtual reality is sort of a portrayal of a dream world, what's going on maybe in somebody's subconscious mind. And okay, sure, you could you know write all these stories about sitting on the therapist's couch, but it's 1995. Let's get the young folks interested. So let's put a modem in. Let's put on some goggles and gloves. And now it's going to be virtual reality. I'd really like to know. That's a good theory. It very well may be true. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, Certainly the pilot episode introduces all that concept, but the pilot episode is basically about her, discovering and bringing to justice a serial killer. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first episode right away, very reachable. Like, you don't know, she's a crime fighter. Okay. <laughs> they get better. Uh, uh, more interesting things happen, but they certainly started with, okay, uh, she has this ability. She's going to solve crimes. So there you go. So as an example of, 
more interesting, subtle things they did is that her mother uh, became a vegetable basically after the accident. And she realizes in a really tender moment that if she gets a nurse to hold a damn phone to her mother's head and she calls her up and she puts her modem and she does her little thing, she uh, amazingly connects with her mother. And her mind is there. She appears to be a vegetable, but her mind is working. And she has a visit with her mother. It's very sweet. Uh, and that's, of course, portrayed by Louise Fletcher. Mom, we're in virtual reality. What? It's something I can do with my computer. You mean that thing your father brought home? <laughs> no, not that old thing. Something new. So we got a, a close-up pretty soon. Uh... TJ, maybe you understand this more than I did, but there's some element of danger. Is there not? Uh, she mentions it in this clip. Like she, to, to get out of this dream state, she has to find a symbol of unlocking or, or something, right? Mm -hmm. And if she doesn't find it, does, does she die? What is the danger there? No, um, the idea is, is that in order for you to exit from that reality, to break the connection, you have to find an inanimate object, something that's grounded in the real world, and it can, make, it can uh, take the appearance of anything as simple as a coffee mug or a stapler, but it's usually related to a person or you know, the, the action that's going on during that scene. And it sort of grounds them. It's like a lightning rod and it takes you out of that moment back to reality. But isn't there some danger if she can't find it? Like, isn't she stuck? Um, I, I know that there is part of the storyline that her mother got trapped in virtual reality. So that, that certainly may be part of the warning. Um, you know, and then of course, spoiler alert: when you get to the end of the series, uh, because the show was canceled, there there are some folks that argue that they they wrote in a cliffhanger. Sydney and her mom switch places, so now Sydney is the one who's trapped in virtual reality, and you know her body is just basically physically functional in the real world. Right, that's an example, folks. This this show goes places. Uh, 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 don't stop with the pilot episode is all I'm saying. Uh, to answer a question from Janet, um, when Sydney is experiencing these things, uh, it, it can seem time seems, I guess, linear to her so if she's with she if she's in there for half an hour or whatever it feels like half an hour uh but to people like her friend um duncan uh she just seems to be out of it for for a few seconds so uh in in i guess real time it happens really fast now uh she also asked um the other people on the phone, do, do they fall asleep? And I don't know the answer to that. So uh, I, I don't I don't know how they experience it. I know that they forget it for the most part. Right. They I, don't remember it like Sydney. Does. I know that in a few of the scenes where the other person is brought into virtual reality with Sydney, it's suggested that it takes place as you were saying, in different frames of mind. So what seems like a longer moment to the person in virtual reality is almost instant in the real world. So you may not even notice that they were connected with on, you know, on the other side, they'll, they'll just have a blank look for a moment and then they'll blank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that seems, that seems like it. Um, do we want to say anything about, uh, is there anything you, you want to get in about the history of virtual reality? Uh, let's just talk about the title. VR is virtual reality. And then five stands for one of the 10 levels of virtual reality. And there's lots of, uh, I, I recommend um, looking up Google the 10 levels of virtual reality to understand them all. But apparently the level that 
Sydney achieves is, is level five. So that's the title. By the way, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, DJ. I was going to say, uh, you know, just more importantly, the levels of virtual reality begin with the early development of it, like using a computer screen and being able to navigate. But more importantly, in the years just before VR5 came out, virtual reality was experiencing a new heyday. You had Sega, the game company. They <laughs> yeah. were they were investing in a new product that they were going to develop for their home consoles. Of course, it was never developed, but they put a lot of money in it. And if you if you watch the first handful of episodes of VR Five, she meets a professor, Doctor Morgan, and he talks about her having an experience at the mall at the arcade with her boyfriend, which has a tie in with the history because before Sega got involved with trying to develop it for their home system, uh, virtual reality did have some arcade style games in the larger cities. Right. Right. Um, you know, virtual reality, the concept has been around for a long time. The reality of it, you know, certainly goes back to this era and guess what? Still today, uh, you know, there are those who would say, you know, we're we're still in the process of of uh, achieving different levels. So, DJ, I noticed when you and I uh, meet up with Janet in the chat room, and we're at one of those their uh, sci-fi thingies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest displays uh, every year is uh, somebody who's trying to sell and develop a virtual reality system. And uh, that's always a huge uh, display that people want to try with the goggles and everything. And uh, it seems to me a couple of years ago, you could get something for your stupid phone, not your stupid phone, but your <laughs> smartphone that was some kind of virtual reality garbage. I don't think it went very far and it had like, you know, a fad interest. Um, but still today, uh, this is a huge thing, and I think everyone agrees that it's still like the future. It's going to be our future, and it's there's going to be a day when really, uh, I don't think you're going to be able to tell. Well, we we normally uh, do a recommendation for similarly themed things, and I'll just go through mine real quick. I already said in '95 the movies The Net and Hackers came out. But there was a more recent movie that starred Bruce Willis that I would recommend called Simply Surrogates. And it sort of plays on this idea of virtual reality. It's it's sort of a, uh, not post-apocalypse, but it's not it's a not-so-pretty near future. And basically, everybody has these bodies that you're going around the world in that are picture-perfect, pretty, and, you know, uh, underwear model physiques. And then uh, it, at home in the real world, they're sitting in their recliners and, well, they're not so pretty. So these uh, these avatars run about the world representing them while they're at home eating cake frosting, possibly. Ha! Um, DJ, I never saw it, but uh, the the Ballyhooed movie that still one of the, the top earners ever, uh, that James Cameron avatar. Was that, was that virtual reality? It was. And I think we have a copy in 3d that we can show you when you come by. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, never have seen it. Um, and I, I know there's plans for like a, I don't know. Apparently, James Cameron has a whole thing he wants to still do with Avatar. I don't know what's been stopping him. I think uh, that there's, movie came out what ten years ago or something. Yeah, there there is at least two more that are coming out, and they star, of course, my favorite actress Sigourney Weaver, who uh, championed the future for women in roles in scary movies. Mm. Now you just said something a little profound, but. You said she's your favorite actress. Is that true? One of, yes. I have many, okay. but uh, of that time period, she is right up there. I mean, who else could uh, play in a Star Trek spoof movie and, you know, make it very watchable? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's uh, she's earned her stars and stripes as far as I'm concerned. Um, let's see. I, I I just want to throw this in as a graphic designer. Well, 
a former graphic designer. In a past uh, v- life. <laughs> yeah. VR5, the logo for the television series. The absolute worst logo developed <laughs> ever in the history of television. It sucks. It's terrible. I can't believe when I look at that's what they came up with. Maybe they, it really is bad. Maybe they downloaded it from an AOL message board. <laughs> I don't know, DJ. It's it could be. It could be. I don't know. Uh, but uh, probably no one cares about that but me. Um, is there anything else we could say about this damn show? I recommend it. Oh, certainly. You know, and just a, a last-minute retouch on the moments with her mother. And, uh, you know, this was basically a very cerebral show. Um, yeah. They, they use virtual reality in a way that mimics... Uh, some of the discussions that you can read about where they say that if you have a loved one who has fallen into a coma, even though they aren't responsive, maybe you go to and uh, visit them and you maybe read to them. There have been cases where people have survived and have come out of those comas and they remember things that you thought they weren't conscious for. So it, it's very much of that ilk that uh, Sydney is able to reach her mother in virtual reality because, you know, uh, her mother's in a level of subconscious. Very good. Um, and by the way, uh, my recommendation for something like this uh, is what I've already mentioned is a brainstorm um, that came out in the theaters. It was Natalie Wood's last movie. And the, you know, the sorry little link to to that is uh, that that's where she met um, the actor she co-starred with. Um, goodness, what's his name? And and he was on the boat with Robert Wagner. And uh, well, to this day, we don't really know what happened on that boat with those three people. She wasn't Anyways. reaching for the heart of the ocean. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah, but anyways, uh, Natalie Wood tragically uh, gone uh, before her time. Uh, uh, you know what? Let's pick uh, that uh, god damn. I mean, let's pick that uh, darn gumball machine. All right, so folks, bring it over here. Give me uh, one of them their magic coins. So uh, I gotta get my next pick. Okay, so folks, if you're new to our show. This is where we give you a hint on what's coming down the pike. We have this uh, this gumball machine here. It's kind of part uh, magic eight ball. It's kind of light, part lightning rod. And when we throw one of these coins that we found here in one of the dressing rooms... We, we, They're magic. Yes, there was a magician who once performed here, and we find out what's coming up next. So here we go. I got it. Here we go. Oh, here comes the little capsule. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm going to open up here. All right, uh, folks, what we're going to do next time is one of my most beloved films of all time. It's called Notorious. Uh, not that stupid thing that came out a few years ago. No, this is the one, the classic, the black and white uh, by Alfred Hitchcock. Ooh. It was his first true love story. Rich in passion, a lot of deception, a lot of reversals of fortune, and a lot of obsession, which Hitchcock excel, excelled in. This was a very uh, a wonderful example of his mature work that would rem- uh, mark the rest, uh, the remainder of his career. You cannot not see notorious and uh, goodness gracious uh, it's probably on youtube I, uh, but uh, surely um and don't call you and uh, never mind and uh, notorious if you can get a good copy of it oh it's such a beautifully shot black and white uh oh janet uh, wonders am i saying naturalist notorious i am saying n-o-t-o-r-i-o-u-s a wonderful Alfred Hitchcock film starring Ingrid Bergman, uh, Cary Grant, and Claude Rains. And Claude Rains, my God, 
what a wonderful cast, what a wonderful movie. And this came We're out gonna... in 1946. Yes. Uh, goodness. Uh, it, it's a wonderful movie. So uh, see if you can see it before uh, next time, which is in two weeks. By the way, folks, just a reminder, we only do the first and third Fridays of the month. So if it's a long month, uh, we, we're not going to be there uh, that third Friday. It's only the first and second. You'll find us uh, doing live here. Yes, that's right. We only do the show twice a month because they make us pay for the gas for the generator in this old historical building. So we can only do it twice because we have to give up our lunch to do it. But uh, we are going to be back together here in two weeks on Friday night, which is going to be June 21st. So won't you join us then? Won't you say goodnight, Gracie? Uh, good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our program is live every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to univazpods.net. Click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.